0: Welcome to Radio Curious. I'm Barry Vogel. Midwifery and murder in York, England, in the mid-1640s, is the topic of our conversation with Sam Thomas, author of The Midwife's Tale and The Harlot's Tale. While researching English history for his Ph.D. thesis, Thomas happened on to the will of Bridget Hodgson, a midwife, a fictionalized version of her life forms the basis for Thomas's mystery series set in New York in which Bridget Hodgson is the protagonist. Our conversation recorded by phone on December 27, 2013 with Sam Thomas from his home near Cleveland, Ohio where he teaches high school history begins with his characterization of York, England in 1644.
1: At this time, York was essentially England's second capital. It was, it was its capital in the north. The, the, the crown maintained essentially a headquarters there and had done for, for many years. Um, by modern standards, it was really a pretty small place, um, about 10,000 people. Uh, it was... If, if, if you go to York today, you can actually see many of the same buildings that, that, that were around at that time, not just the cathedral, but also there are some neighborhoods that, that have sort of this very much this this uh, early modern character. It's really quite wonderful. Um, what is different about it now versus then is that uh, sort of at this time, it, it had the medieval wall around it and... Um, for the first book, in particular, *The Midwife's Tale*, my first book, um, it was actually under siege by parliamentary forces uh, with on the outside and royalist forces on the inside. Uh, and the idea was that if the if the if the par, if Parliament could take the city, then they would own the north, and ultimately that is that is what wound up wound up happening.
0: What is the distance from London to York?
1: Uh, It's about a four-hour train ride. In terms of travel at that time, it it could be a week to two weeks, depending on, on roads and that sort of thing.
0: Your books The Midwife's Tale and The Harlot's Tale center around the microcosm of life, of birth and death. Your main characters are Bridget Hodgson and Martha Hawkins. You spend a lot of time discussing the relationships between these women how did you get the facts about them? How was this story created?
1: Well, the the character of Bridget is actually based on a midwife who practiced in York around this time. Um, When I was working on my doctoral thesis, I stumbled across her will and uh, quickly discovered that I had found a a really unusual and exciting woman. I sort of had this image of midwives as sort of old and on the margins of society. And here was a woman who was rich. She was proud of being a midwife. She put it up front in her will. Uh, and she was extremely well connected politically. Um, and it also turned out that she was the daughter in law of the Lord Mayor of York. And so I spent some time writing about her from a historical perspective. And then when I decided to try my hand at fiction, um, it, seemed like, it seemed like a natural choice to make her my protagonist. Um, Martha is more loosely based on a, on a historical figure. In Bridget's, the historical Bridget's will, she mentions a bequest that she was giving to her deputy and former maidservant. A woman named Martha Stopford. This was really kind of exciting because historians were still trying to figure out how midwives were trained. And here we have an, had an example of a midwife in the north mentioning her deputy, or the woman that she had trained to be a midwife. Bringing in those two characters uh, and tying them together made sense from a historical perspective, but also, you know, it allowed me to have uh, an outsider's eyes. Uh, on the profession of midwifery, but then also on the city of York.
0: Sam Thomas, what I'm interested in knowing is what you were able to weave into a novel uh, almost 500 years after the fact.
1: Okay. Well, I think that the one the one issue that I like, that, I, that I'm trying to get at, and, and I did this when I was working on the history, and now when I'm working on the fiction, is how women like Bridget and Martha and a number of the other female characters that I have built, I've included into the story, um, how do these women who are strong and intelligent make their way in a world that is dominated by men and sort of none of the structures are built to sort of help women get an education or get very far in society. Throughout history, you have these individuals who are able to you know, as best they can, make their way. And I thought that by sort of including different kinds of women, whether it's Bridget, who is born rich and sort of assumes this profession of a midwife, who allows her to have power, or somebody like Martha, who has sort of less of an uh, of an of an advantage when she is start when she starts her life, um, looking at how they deal with this world that is, you know, it it to modernize extremely unfair is something that would be, uh, I thought that this would be a great deal of fun, and and it turned out to be so.
0: Tell us how they were able to exert their power and make their way in the world.
1: Sure. Well, for, for Bridget, there are three main legs on her stool, so to speak. One is that she is born into money and she is uh, extremely wealthy and so that that comes with its own benefits uh, at the same time she is a member of the gentry so she has a coat of arms and is, is known as you know Lady Bridget Hodgson and that is sort of another kind of, of power that she has but the power of the midwife I think is is more interesting and that's something that I've, I've had to, to think about and I think that what it boils down to is that midwives know things that most people don't and so they are privy to the the sins and secrets at all levels of society because one of the things that's that's fascinating about midwives is that a wealthy woman like bridget would have had wealthy clients but she also would have had poor clients she is able to enter the houses of the highborn and the lowborn alike. So they, they know everybody's secrets, and then they also are able to interpret those secrets. So, for example, if a woman you know has a malformed child, it's the midwife who is able to say, ah, this is because. Their explanation is not going to be genetics, obviously, for because yeah, it's the 17th century, but it could be because of the husband, or it could be because of the wife, or it could just be you know one of those things. And that's a lot of power that the midwife has, the midwife is also the one who can judge women's bodies and so decide if a woman is pregnant, which is can be extremely uh, important. She can decide whether or not a child was born early or born on time. So if a child dies and the midwife says, ah, the child was born early, then there could be, for example, no infanticide charge. But if the midwife says, the child was born on time, then the mother could be vulnerable to infanticide. So it is the ability to, to speak with authority on uncertain matters that I think gives midwives that extra power that most women didn't enjoy at the time.
0: Staying with that for a moment, where is this knowledge uh, formed? Is it passed uh, from midwife to a younger midwife? Is it long-term observation, uh, some of each?
1: That's a great question, one that historians are trying to figure out. Depending on where you are in England, a formal apprenticeship system in place where a midwife would have a deputy who would work for her for a number of years before that deputy would then become a midwife in her own right. At the same time, midwives were thought to have gained experience from being mothers themselves. Most most midwives were mothers, although there, there are a few exceptions. And then they also gained experience during this training period, and then during their time, actually, as a practicing midwife. There are a lot of layers behind this this knowledge that they have. And again, this is, I think, what makes them again, these, these powerful figures, is that it's not any one thing. It's, it's a combination of factors.
0: In this edition of Radio Curious, we're visiting with Sam Thomas, the author of The Midwife's Tale and the Harlot's Tale, mysteries in part about midwives and murder in the mid-1640s in York, England. You're listening to Radio Curious. I'm Barry Vogel. Sam, when you relate the stories, you speak in the first person of your primary character, Bridget Hodgson. Where did you develop the facility to speak in the voice of a woman uh, in that period of time?
1: That's a That's a a, a great question. And um, I think it comes from a couple of places. I mean, one is that before I started writing fiction, I spent many years writing you know my, my doctoral thesis and then turning that into a book. And so by the time I started writing the mystery, I'd spent a lot of time trying to you know get inside the heads of people from the past. My history book is essentially a biography of a Puritan minister who lived in northern England from 1650 to 1702. And I'd spent a lot of time with primary sources, getting to know the the rhythms of speech from the time and getting to know, getting to know sort of the people of the period. When it came time to write it, it never occurred to me not to write it in the first person.
0: How were you able to reach her experience?
1: Well, part of it is... Again, sort of the the practice that I had as a historian, trying to get into the head of of another individual from this time period. So then, making this transition to to thinking, uh, looking at the world from Bridget's perspective was was some, uh, something I already had experience with. To be honest, I think that the significant difference is not that she's a woman and I'm a man, but that you know, she is living in the 17th century and I'm living in the 21st. The fact that she believes in witches and that witches should be hanged is, strikes me as a, as a more significant difference than anything having to do with gender.
0: Uh, Sam Thomas, can you tell us about the place of witches in the English society in the 1640s? Um,
1: there is not. I mean, it, certainly that is possible. Um, but the so the research that we have on witchcraft is presents a, a rather more complicated picture than that where sort the line between a folk healer and a witch is a pretty fine one and so the same woman who has for many years been helping out with magical charms you know, when you know something happens within the community that turns them against her then she will come to be seen as a witch Um there's also actually a really fascinating argument that that I find quite convincing that some of these women who were executed as witches actually believed that they were witches, um, and this is because essentially they saw the world very differently than we did. If a woman said to her neighbor, "You know, I hope your cow dies," or "You know, you have been cruel to me," and and Bad things will happen to you and then something bad happens she might very well believe that she made that happen you know she's living in a world where words have that sort of power and so you know this is this is I'm not certainly defending the execution of witches just making just just trying to make the case that uh, you know that these confessions some might have been coerced but some women might have actually thought that they had committed these malefic acts Um even though we would look at them and say, well, no, that's, that's clearly impossible.
0: Sam, you mentioned earlier that you got to know the rhythms of speech of English at that time. Can you share some of those with us now?
1: Well, I mean, I think a lot of it is, actually finds its way into the book itself. Uh, and so, you know, whenever possible, I would, I would pull phrases out of documents that I used when I was writing the history. Insults are always one place where the early modern folk were much more colorful and creative than we were. Um, I'm not sure how many of these I want to uh, <laughs> use on the air, but you know, I, I, I throw a few of them into the book. There's also sort of one scene where Bridget goes to a woman's house and demands to see her servant, who she believes to be pregnant with a bastard. And this is one of the things that midwives had to do is, is investigate these sorts of cases. And so the woman who Bridget has visited says, let's see who'll be so bold as to investigate my maidservant. This is a woman who is defending, you know, not her maidservant, but her ownership of her maidservant, in essence. And so being able to bring that kind of of historical reality into the fiction was something that I took. Very seriously, I have fictionalized Bridget. I have fictionalized Martha, and you know the murders that I write about never took place. You know, I've done my best to keep the larger historical picture as accurate as as I can.
0: And the person uh, who is trying to exert the authority—that's Rebecca Hook.
1: Yes, yes, her Bridget's nemesis and sort of the the, the anti-Bridget <laughs> in uh, in the series.
0: Sam Thomas, tell us a little more about your original research uh, that taught you about Bridget Hodgson.
1: I stumbled across her will purely by chance, and then I was able to track down a lot of other information about her, her marriages, she was widowed twice, and then also the children she had, which I wrote out of the novel. I actually put a lot of information about Bridget and about the history of midwife or midwifery up on my website. Uh, which is www.samthomasbooks.com. Um, I've got a a transcript of her will and a transcript of her father in-law's will which which tells us a lot as well uh, as well as, as as I mentioned a lot about the the history of midwives at this time in many ways I look at writing fiction as sort of another way of, of writing history It is simply a different way of telling a story to to my readers in a way that I hope that they find sort of interesting and entertaining.
0: Taking what you know about the history of Bridget and factoring that into the role and the command that religion had on the general society in the uh, mid-1640s in England, what can you tell
1: us? One of the things that I was never able to really figure out about Bridget is what her religious outlook was. Based on her will by 1683, when she, when she dies, she is a, a good and solid member of the Church of England. She asks to be buried in her parish church. She asks that the cathedral bells be rung to mark her funeral. But one of the things that I wanted to do in the first book and then even more in the second book is look at the tensions that existed within English society uh, particularly between sort of the, the more enthusiastic than one the, the, the folks that we would call Puritans and more run-of-the-mill English men and women. For my history book I really sort of came to love the godly the Puritans uh, and and appreciate their efforts to you know create a, a society free from sin. You know, I also recognize that this was not everybody's priority, and so I wanted to, to have Martha in there as sort of a, you know, not quite a non-believer, but one who is skeptical of religion and its role in society. Essentially put Bridget in the middle of that, and so that she could uh, never quite get comfortable. And because I think that keeping her uncomfortable is key to, uh, to keeping the series alive.
0: Can you describe the tensions that existed in the English society at that time?
1: Well, I mean, obviously they're in the midst of a civil war that that has, has, I think, rightly been described by historians as Europe's last war of religion, where you had on the one side the forces from Parliament who are dedicated Protestants, and on the king's side you have those who are suspected, probably wrongly, but suspected of being uh, in favor of bringing... Uh, Catholicism back to England, and Bridget I think is more of a uh, agnostic on all of these issues. She'd be just happiest if they if they went away, but you know this is not a world of her making, and so that uh, so in in the second book York is taken over by the godly, who then attempt to uh, to enforce a moral code on a population that is not as always uh, as willing as they might be.
0: Considering your interest in the religion of that time, can you tell us how that dovetails with your personal approach towards religion?
1: I come from a very uh, religiously pluralistic background. Uh, I was baptized Catholic. My father is a Quaker. My stepmother was Jewish. We would celebrate all manner of holidays over the course of a year. And so when I started working on my graduate degree, I was fascinated by the question of how different religious groups got along or didn't get along. And so my first book is about religious toleration and religious persecution, because those tended to go hand in hand. Uh, And what also interests me is how sort of these large historical issues, whether it is religious conflict or the Civil War or or uh, Puritanism play out at the local level and how individuals make their way in the face of these sort of large-scale forces. Um, and that's what I try to do, again, in, in the history book, which is essentially it, what is a micro-history, looking at these events through a microscope. Uh, and part of what I'm doing also with with Bridget and and the books about her.
0: Sam, from your perspective as a historian of English history and early American history, what insight have you learned that would uh, be a commentary on our life now in the United States in the 21st century?
1: That's actually a, a question that I'm wrestling with in the the book that I'm writing at this moment, um, because when you look at the history of the relationship between Colonists in New England and the relationship between colonists in New England and Indians and witchcraft—it um, a lot of it starts to sound really quite familiar and uh, quite a lot to my eye, like uh, or to my ear, it sounds quite a lot to my ear like um, America after September 11th, where. Um, you know, their concern is, there's a very real concern about a th- an external threat, whether that concern is in the form of Al-Qaeda or of uh, Native American groups. Um, and that, in many cases, gets reflected in the fear of an internal threat, whether that is um, you know, somebody trying to do- domestic terrorism or witches, you know, the enemy within. There's a, there's a very real obsession with the enemy within. Um, and along with that comes the crossing of lines that had previously been sacrosanct. And so, just as the United States government engaged in torture to try and and uh, secure confessions and to gain more information about about its enemies on on and among the is uh, extre- Islamic extremists, um, so too did. You know, previously upstanding men in New England, as they would torture witches in order to find out you know who other witches were in order to gain confessions. Um, and so, this seemed the uh, the parallels seem uh, too rich for me to ignore. And so, the only question is, uh, you know, how can I explore those in the novel in a way that is is uh, uh, illuminating rather than heavy handed. But uh, that's that's a balance that I'm going to have to figure out to strike how to strike as I as I as I write the book.
0: Well, Sam Thomas, I want to thank you for being with us on Radio Curious. And before we close, I have a couple of questions I'd like to ask you. And the first is about a eureka or an aha moment that you experienced that changed your life.
1: I think that the the first one is actually related to this book, and this was when uh, I. Shirley, by chance, opened up a will that, that Bridget had left, and it started with the phrase, I, Bridget Hodgson, of the city of York, midwife. And you know, I had read a lot of wills at this time, and this was the first time that a woman had referred to herself by her profession. Um, you know, most women were wife of, daughter of, widow of, or spinster. And this was a woman who said, you know, forget all of that stuff, I'm not the man in my life. I am the work that I do, and so, and and it just took off from there. And So that was just a really exciting moment from a historian's perspective, but then also as a uh, as a fiction writer as well.
0: Where did it go when it took off?
1: Uh, I wound up writing a an article exclusively about Bridget uh, and sort of the, her social and professional networks. Uh, and then it, it, I, I wound up writing a couple of more articles about the history of midwifery. It just sort of opened up an entirely new field from a professional perspective. And then as I was making this transition out of, um, out of history and into fiction, obviously it carried me forward on that front as well.
0: And Sam Thomas, what would you like to do with the remainder of your One Precious Life?
1: Well at this point uh, I think I've got it pretty good I mean the I as you mentioned earlier i I teach high school and absolutely adore that uh, and you know in every morning at around five I get up and i I get to play around in in with my novels and that's that's a great deal of fun too so uh, you know as as long as I can I, I'd like to keep this going for as long as possible uh, as long as the you know they'll have me and as long as people keep buying the books
0: do you have other books? Are ready to drop uh, out of your fingertips.
1: I do, yeah. Actually, I've I've finished a third book in the Bridget Hodgson series. Um, it's going to be called The Witch Hunter's Tale. Um, I've also drafted a fourth in the series, and I am now currently at work on a another novel that's going to be set in on the the frontier of the New England frontier in the sixteen seventies, about the end of at the end of uh, uh, Indian Wars and about the time uh, of witchcraft panics beginning in, in New England.
0: And finally, Sam Thomas, is there a book that you could recommend to our listeners?
1: Uh, sure. I, I was able to narrow it down to two, if that's okay. If readers are interested in historical fiction, particularly historical mysteries, there is a book that is called An Instance of the Finger Post, by a a writer named Ian Pears, and it's I-A-I-N, which is set in uh, Cambridge in 1662, which is sort of shortly after the period that I'm writing about. Um, It is a magnificent book. It tells the story of a murder from four different perspectives. Each narrator thinks that they know exactly what happened, and none of them do. It's wonderful. And the lock artist by a writer named Steve Hamilton. And um, what's, what's remarkable about this book is that the narrator and main character never speaks throughout the entire book. Um, it is told from his perspective, but in the course of the novel, he doesn't utter a single word. And part of the, the story is why that is. I, I could not put that book down. It was it's, it's truly a wonderful book.
0: Sam Thomas, thank you very much for being with us on Radio Curious.
1: Thanks a lot, Barry. It was a lot of fun.
0: Sam Thomas is the author of The Midwife's Tale and The Harlot's Tale. The books he recommends are An Instance of the Finger Post by Ian Pears and The Lock Artist by Steve Hamilton. This conversation was recorded on December 27th 2013 Over 400 Radio Curious programs may be found on our website RadioCurious.org They're free as my gift to you I hope you enjoy them Our address is 280 North Oak Street, Ukiah, UKIAH, California, 95482. The phone is 707 462 6541, and email is curiousradiocurious.org. Christina Onnested is our assistant producer. I'm host and producer Barry Vogel. Thank you for listening.